Welcome to Everyday Cults, Everyday People, a podcast exploring destructive, controlling groups and the impact they have on everyday people like you and me. Thanks for being here. I'm Jane Taylor, here with cult survivor Jarette Boulian, author of An Everyday Cult. An Everyday Cult is Jarette's account of her 18 years within a cult. The experience led her to become a founding collaborator of Hashtag I Got Out, an organization that amplifies the voices of individuals who have experienced cultic abuse. Their stories steer us to recognize and start to dismantle power abuse. Her experience is not singular. According to CBS News in 2018, there were as many as 10,000 cults in the United States. Europe's no stranger to cultic life. In 1994, the European Parliament convened a committee to address the dangers of the cult phenomenon. There were 400 new religious movements in Italy involving 60,000 people in 1994. Cult dynamics can exist in all layers of society. They can be political, racist, religious, sexual, satanic, educational. They can be founded on human potential, mass transformation, or mass marketing. There's more. Let's talk. Thanks for being here, Jarette. Oh, I am so delighted to be here, Jane. Really excited for our conversation today. Yeah, me too. The word cult used to be taboo. Now it's like sex. Everybody's talking about it. What caused that change? Jane, that's a really big question. And of course, I will be sharing from my perspective. I believe that it's related to what is happening on a global level in terms of authoritarianism. Mm. And, you know, we, we see it in many countries and in surprising places where democracies have been established and authoritarianism is kind of sweeping in. And Perhaps it's part of some greater cyclical political realities. Perhaps it's actually a reaction to uh, the evolution of humankind, you know, mm. that we as a species are evolving and growing. And there are many forces out there that actually want to keep people under control, where a sense of the creative human being. Um, and the autonomous human being can be a real threat to anyone who has proclivities towards an authoritarian way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Authoritarian way of thinking. Is that how a cult is defined? How do you define a cult? Yeah, that's a great question. In general, I think of authoritarianism as whenever someone thinks they know something about you more than you do. Mm. That's, to me, a really basic way of uh, categorizing, you know, when someone has an authority over you in any way. I don't think of it in terms of the big political systems only. Of course, it's that as well. Sure. But whenever you're in a situation, yeah, where someone really thinks they have the right answer for you, 
And of course, in a family, when you're a child, yes, your parents do have a loving, hopefully a loving authority over you. And of course, that does happen in classrooms, you know, where you're looking up to someone who does know more than you. There are very natural ways where that is true. But in situations where areas of one's life where you should have access to yourself, what is naturally yours, a decision to make, for example, what to wear. That's something that, you know, by the time you're, I don't know, with my kids, by the time they were three, they were making some pretty strong decisions about (laughs) what they were going to wear and how. (laughs) And when you're in a situation where, as an adult, you are being instructed on what is the right thing to wear or what is the right way to wear it, that's an example of an authoritarian construct that may be harmless or it could be an indicator of something more harmful. Mm-hmm. Speaking of harmful, what is the difference between, say, the Mansons and Jonestown and an everyday cult such as the cult you belong to for 18 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for asking that. Well, just to make sure our listeners are aware, most people do know who the Mansons are, the um, uh helter-skelter. So that horrific uh, murders that took place in California years ago. And the Jonestown, uh, the Jonestown cult was based on Jim Jones, who had moved his group of 900 followers into the Guyana jungle and were really seeking refuge there, creating an alternative uh, lifestyle and home. And it's to make a very long, complicated story short, 900 people drank cyanide-laced Kool-Aid in the jungle of Guyana and perished there. And that is where that phrase, drinking the Kool-Aid, comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, the largest mass murder that has taken place, or mass suicide that has taken place to this day. So... When people think of cults in general, we think of those kind of dramatic, um, really kind of horrific situations. David Koresh in uh, Waco, Texas is another one where there was kind of this holding ground. And people, you know, there was fire and gunshot and people were killed. And uh, the mass murder, the mass weddings of um, the Unification Church were which is also called the Moonies. Um, That's another, people tend to think of, that's what a cult is. Mm -hmm. Well, the group that I was a part of for 18 years had none of those outward trappings. But what was so shocking to me, Jane, was that when I got out of that group, after being deeply involved for 18 years, I recognized that I had experienced a form of mind control that I had actually been indoctrinated. And wherever there is indoctrination, there is a loss of autonomy. There is a loss of one's capacity to make decisions in their own life. And so when I snapped out, I use the term snapping out 
of the environment, the group that I was in, I realized that the same dynamics that Jim Jones was using to control his followers had been morphed, had been kind of tweaked to fly under the radar, to Mm -hmm. look more socially acceptable. So we now have cults. You had mentioned the number uh, 10,000 cults in the United States. I would venture to guess, Jane, that there are so many more of that because that Mm -hmm. number does not address the everyday cults. The groups that the techniques are simply kind of toned down and they can look, to many, they can look perfectly normal and acceptable. For others, some people who are really sensitive to the dynamics, they might have like a, ooh, something feels off kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. And that's a sign of good, healthy instincts. (laughs) Yeah, good. (laughs) Jarette, how do cults start? Do cult leaders know when they start a cult? Hey, this weekend, I'm going to start a cult. How do they start? And is the leader aware of what's happening? That's a really interesting question. I just was reading recently in the last few days how L. Ron Hubbard, who is the founder of Scientology, actually was quoted early in his uh, career of saying, if you want money, start a religion. So that makes me think, dear Lord, maybe he really intentionally set out to create this from the beginning, this, Mm -hmm. you know, very complex, convoluted, quote unquote, religion. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that can happen. When I look around at what I perceive as more to be the everyday cults, the smaller groups, the groups that are, you know, tend to be self-help groups, like people who have great ideas and want to encourage you to be the best you can be kind of stuff. Um, When I look at those smaller groups, most of the time, I think what's happening is that the leader believes their own shtick fully. And they start out with oftentimes perhaps pretty humble um, goals to just help people. And then there's like, you know, you can kind of get high on it. You can get high on people believing you. If if you start getting a following, it can, you know, it's kind of that whole adage, you know, uh, power corrupts. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, once you feel that power, then it can become bigger and bigger. And then the cultic techniques could start coming in. It's like the dark side of altruism. I have several other questions, but you talked about religion. What to you is the difference between a religion and a cult? Mm. <laughs> you know, there are people who are far more qualified to answer this than me, but here I am. I'm an everyday person who wrote a book about my cultic experience. So I'll give you my two cents on mm-hmm. that. Um, I believe that people, human beings, we naturally want to strive for, maybe it's not strive is the wrong word. We want to believe in something greater than ourselves. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has that experience, 
but many, many people do. So, you know, with that in mind, religion is a natural progression of that. So, and there's nothing wrong with it, that a religion in and of itself can be a very beautiful thing. Where a religion can become cult-like or culty or cultic is when people are getting harmed. Hmm. When people are, for example, giving up way more of their money than they should to an organization, to a religious organization, because the religion dictates that that's necessary but does not take into consideration what the family needs in order to survive. There are many religions that require a massive amount of tithing, or it gets disguised. Maybe it's not tithing. It could be, um, you know, giving to certain, as you said earlier, altruistic um, organizations, like you have to give in certain ways. And then there's not enough money to buy food. Mm. for one's family. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a form of harm. Mm -hmm. And that can take place in many ways. Right. In your book, Jarrett, An Everyday Cult, you don't use the cult leader's real name nor the name of the cult. Hashtag I got out doesn't use real names either. Why? Yeah. I think that's a really important question, particularly for uh, people who are who have had some level of cultic experience and are wanting to share their story, like myself. And it's a very, very personal decision. Mm -hmm. For some people, it is necessary. It's essential that they identify the group and identify the uh, the leader perhaps the techniques, perhaps the place, you know, that it's really, really important to them. If someone is feeling that way, there's a few questions to consider first. One is, why is it important? A, for most people, it can be, well, I need to stop them. I need to stop it because there are other people that are getting hurt. Mm -hmm. And that's a very valid reason. However, if we look at the number of cultic environments in which lawsuits have gone in the favor of the cult leader, it may not be such a wise decision because defamation of character, and again, I'm not, I'm not any expert on uh, legal stuff and cults, but very often you can end up in a lawsuit. And that's kind of the primary reason I would say for myself. It's like, I don't, I don't want to ask for, you know, that my previous leader to, to look at me and say, she's lying. The truth is what I've done is I have taken my book and my quotes in my book are all based on my personal journals and recorded sessions with the leader. Mm -hmm. So I've consulted with a lawyer about this and we came to the conclusion that the safest thing for me is to hold on to all of my notebooks and journals for the, that 18-year period and all my recorded sessions in the event that someone could come after me mm -hmm. for defamation of character. 
It's interesting that initially I thought by not using the leader's name, you're protecting the leader, but actually it's the opposite. You're protecting yourself. I am not protecting the leader. Let's make that very, very clear. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Who is susceptible to joining a cult? Earlier, you were talking about different groups, and I was just thinking, oh, I was in the Girl Scouts. Was it a cult? Oh, well, truth is, it could become one. Hmm. Um, Okay, sure. We could find a few um, character traits that might make someone a little more susceptible to being drawn into a group that could end up being harmful for them. However, the truth is, Jane, there are no guarantees. In fact, cultic groups target smart people. Mm. They want smart people who are upwardly mobile, who, who want to do better. Like, you know, look at Look at Nixium, which is a the group in um, out of Albany. Keith Raniere um, is the cult leader, and the uh, story, the vow. You know, here are these smart, successful go getters who were drawn into this, and that's because we human beings are wired in a way that is we're, we're socially wired. We want to do better. We want to see the good in other people. We want to see, um, you know, progress for ourselves. And the way that the way that we're wired to think, um, for example, the part of us that is—I uh, don't know if you know the work of Daniel Kahneman, the thinking fast and slow. Have we? Mm-hmm. Maybe we've talked about this work. Thinking fast is this part of our um, psyche part of our thinking that needs to make quick decisions. And a cultic group wants to keep people constantly in a state of urgency so that you are making quick decisions. Um, Because when you make quick decisions, you are far less likely to be accurate. Mm. Mm -hmm. The more thoughtful, reflective aspect of our thinking is only comes about when we consciously call on our slow-thinking system of thought. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thinking we need to engage if we are really, really wanting to analyze whether or not a group is beneficial for us. But once you're in the group, you get caught up in a whirlwind that just looks and feels really good, and you just kind of keep going. And it's designed to keep you in that state. Mm -hmm. You were in a cult for 18 years. And you're a mom, you're a teacher, you're a business owner. What eventually caused you to leave? Yeah, it was really the experience of there was a crisis in the organization But the thing that really made me leave was recognizing that someone who I had profound respect for in the group and someone who I knew was telling the truth was getting harmed Mm. in a truly egregious way by the leader. So the pedestal that I had put the leader on for all those years 
he was suddenly knocked off because Mm -hmm. that disconnect, that cognitive dissonance of him yelling in a truly egregious way at a very gentle-souled person for hours at a time. Like I knew that when she described why she was, she was describing why she left the organization. Mm-hmm. And that description was like, holy friggin' moly, that is abuse. Mm-hmm. So recognizing her being hurt then opened my eyes, opened my conscience. And I began to see, oh, it's not just her. It's the organization. I am getting hurt. Right. I have been hurt. Once you had that realization, was it difficult to leave? Heck no. After I, my experience was once I saw that harm, it was literally within days I was Mm. out. And it's different for everybody. Everybody has a different experience. For some, I have a, you know, beloved friend who it took her 10 years to get out. She was in a group for 30 years. Her last 10 years were a process of separating. And it took every one of those days in the 10 years for her to fully get out. Wow. It took your friend 10 years to get out. You were in a cult for 18 years how how did you stay so long? Well, I'm glad that you circled back to that because I wanted to um, go there. For me, another example or description of an everyday cult is someone like myself who has, who, you know, ran a business, who had kids, would pick my kids up from school and go to school meetings. And I had a, you know, a life in the community, in my town, it was somewhat limited. Um, But in that 18-year process, there were various stages. The first, like the first five years in the group was very, you know, kind of very light in a way. Like it was kind of like falling in love you know, Mm. with someone, like when you're just getting to know them and, you know, with this teacher, there were more and more people who started doing it. So it was like you fall in love with the other people who are coming to the classes, like there were these classes that we'd attend. Um, You know, it it was like learning this way of thinking. It felt so good. It felt so freeing. Mm-hmm. It felt like, oh my gosh, I'm learning so much about myself. I love this work. Yeah. Wow. And then there was like an eight-year period where I was kind of what I call drifting, where I was a little bit in and a little bit out. It was like part of my psyche was unhinged because I was growing more and more and more dependent on the group and the way of thinking. But I could still operate in the world. Mm-hmm. And then it was the final five years that I was what I call asleep, 
that's when I was making some pretty heavy decisions about my day-to-day life, all of which revolved around the work. And it was really during that time that that it was the most the greatest harm was done to me and my family. Mm-hmm. I have one last question before we wrap up our introduction. How is the food? <laughs> you know, Jane, I love this question. <laughs> um, you think about how a controlling group gets um, gets its hooks in. You know, you think about money. Uh, you think about uh, controlling your time, controlling what you think, controlling the information. Well, I tell you, one way the group that I was involved in controlled us, controlled me, was through my stomach. <laughs> because we had really, really good food. It's the quickest way to a person's heart, right? (laughs) Exactly. You know, every class was this, like, there was like this beautiful spread of gorgeous food. The retreats that we went to, they were catered by top-notch caterers. Mm. We were not allowed to bring food. It was everything we needed was to be provided for. Again, So there we go. I love that question. (laughs) (laughs) Something you mentioned before we started recording, love bombing was a phrase that you use. Is that how you would describe the food? Sure. Yeah. 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 You know, love bombing, there's a little bit more to it, but food is, like you said, it's the best, quickest way to someone's heart. Mm. And that's what you want. That's great. Well, I feel like we've opened the box. The box is open. It's so exciting. We have so many things to cover in the next several episodes. I want to just close by reminding our listeners, Jarette is a founding collaborator of Hashtag I Got Out, amplifying voices of individuals who've experienced cultic abuse. Their stories steer us to a new day where power abuses are recognized and dismantled. Search hashtag I got out or visit igotout.org for more information. And thank you so much, Jarrett. What a pleasure to be doing this series with you. I'm really excited. Oh, I am absolutely delighted, Jane. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. Till next time.